How many of you feel a, a, a tinge of sympathy with this ill-clad guest who, you know, yeah, exactly. I mean, and even, even the, the, the master of the, wet, of the house comes up and calls him friend at first. <laughs> but then he says, how'd you get in here? You know, you're not dressed for it. I, yeah, I feel a tinge of sympathy with this fellow. I think we all identify with this fellow, right? And then he's thrown out into the outer darkness. Not only that, he's just bound hand and foot and chucked out, literally drummed out, chucked out. Okay, so now flip it. What if this guest is Vladimir Putin? What if he's a member of Hamas? Now you want him bound and thrown out, right? And cast into the outer darkness. See, when you think it's you, you want all the mercy in the world. And yet, when it's Hamas or Vladimir Putin or Donald Trump or whomever, you want him bound and thrown out. So think about that as we go through this sermon, because I'm going to try to tell you what the garment is that you need to be wearing. Ask yourselves, what ends do we go to to have our needs met? What ends do we go to to have our emotional and our physical and our spiritual needs met? And what ends do we go to when those needs are not met? Would it be fair to say that in many cases when those needs are not met, we have recourse to sin of some kind or another, whether it's emotional abuse, whether it's various kinds of spirituality that are not Christian, whether it's physical abuse, whether it's fornication, adultery, porn, sexual harassment, even terrorism? What sort of sins do we have recourse to when our needs are not met? Let's have a gut check right now. Ask yourselves, are those sins, are those efforts bringing you joy in your life? If they are bringing you joy, then this message is not for you. I have nothing more to say to you. But if they aren't bringing you joy, then listen to what I have to say. Years ago, when I went through a rough patch in my life, I I'll admit it, I was depressed. No shame, in say, nothing, no shame in saying that. I was depressed, and uh, I guess one of the therapists who I was talking to at the time said, why don't you keep a, 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 a chart of your mood throughout the day? I think it's called cognitive behavioral therapy, and look for the triggers that are, are causing your moods. And so I, I downloaded an app on my iPhone called a Mood Tracker, and it would, <laughs> it would politely ask me every four hours to tell it how, it, how I was feeling. And there was a, a set of responses that I could give, and I could tell the app that I was feeling really great, great, very good, good, okay, sad, blue, depressed, ashamed, rejected, sense of dread, jittery, anxious, plain old angry, or the worst, abandoned and persecuted. <laughs> so so you actually, you can make up your own entries on there. So I made up some of those, and I'll let you guess which, one, which ones I made up. Now, needless to say, when I would look back at my chart over many months, I could see that graph line, and, and I could see my efforts, my own efforts, were not bringing me joy. Now, today's message is a tough message. Jesus is again talking about outer darkness and the wailing and gnashing of teeth. And this time he adds a little bit more vigor to it. He says what seems to be a very unfair statement. He says many are called, but few are chosen. And I wonder if that's the root of our problem. We feel called and yet somehow we're robbed of our joy. And my graph certainly showed that. We face, because of this stealing, this theft, this robbing of our joy, we face rejection and we face depression. And so when Paul says today, rejoice in the Lord always, again, I say rejoice, it can sound a little like salt rubbed into the wounds. What do you mean rejoice, Paul? 
We've got another parable today from Jesus, and it's similar to the parables we've been reading these past couple of weeks. It's another parable about a king, and maybe you're catching on by now, right? When you read these parables, the king is always God the Father, the son is always Jesus, the slaves that are sent out are always the prophets and those few righteous in the history of Israel that try to bring Israel back to the ways of God and turn it from its idolatry. Yet those who do, these prophets, are always mistreated, misunderstood, persecuted, cast out, and finally killed. But this parable has a bit of a twist. There's this ill-clad guest. <clears throat> the king comes in to see the guests, and he noticed, noticed him, notices a man there who was not wearing a, a wedding robe. Friend, he said to him, how did you get in here without a wedding robe? I don't think the king is being rude here. It's, I think what's happened here is that this guest, this guest is actually dead. And I think the king is noticing that one of his wedding guests has passed away. The text tells us that the, the man was speechless. And the, the original meaning of that text is that he's been muzzled or rendered speechless. The man, I think, had nothing to say because he was ashamed. He knew he was dead. He had, and he, and he, had, he had no sense of joy because of his shame, the shame of knowing that he was dead in his sins. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1, and in Colossians chapter 2, verse 13, Paul talks about being dead in our sins. And I think that's just exactly what this man was. He was dead in his sins. And I think the king discovered a corpse among his merry banquet and, went, and he did what you would do with a corpse. He had it removed. Because you see, the dead do not belong at the banquet of the living. Another way we could put it is to say that the king asks this mute guest, why aren't you happy? Why aren't you partaking of the joy? The wedding garment is a garment of joy. It's a garment of happiness. And this man isn't wearing joy. He's not wearing happiness. And he knows why. He knows. His sins have robbed him of his joy. You see, what the gospel is telling us is that joy is proof, living proof, that we have entered the kingdom. And that's why I said, if you're full of this joy, then this message isn't for you. You've already entered the kingdom. But if there are days in your life where joy is hidden behind the veil, then this message has something to say to you. When we wear the garment of joy, we can go directly to God to have our needs met. In Philippians chapter 4, verse 6, Paul says, let your requests be made known to God. You see, the original design of creation was that God was to personally meet with each of us, to commune with each of us, to meet or even exceed all of our wants and all of our needs and all of our desires. We were supposed to live and be of the same mind, living in a peaceful community called Eden, but sin has removed us from that and it blocks us from ever finding it again. There's a veil. Isaiah talks about a veil, a shroud of shame that covers us and keeps us from God. Isaiah describes this shroud in chapter 25, verse 7. He talks about this shroud that covers the Gentile nations, and he speaks of the day of the Lord when the Lord will remove this shroud and, will and, that, and when he will destroy the shroud that is cast over all the peoples, that sheet that is spread over all the nations. The shroud is death, and death has no place in the kingdom of God. Isaiah chapter 25, verse 8 says that God will swallow up death forever. But God goes a step further. He says the disgrace of his people, the disgrace of his own chosen people, the shame that is covering his own people, 
the shame they have brought upon themselves for killing the slaves, for, re- for rejecting the son, for murdering the prophets, for, 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 for turning towards idolatry and the ways of the nations around them. This has brought them shame. Ancient Israel is not unlike modern America, meaning it's full of individuals who seek their own personal vindication and self-justification. We seek to justify ourselves and our way of life and the lies that we tell ourselves and the sins that we have recourse to to get our needs met. We seek to place all of that over and above God's word of salvation. What do you think is going on here in this little detail that that Paul records in Philippians chapter 4, verse 2? You may have missed it, but he's talking about two women who helped him in his gospel ministry, Euodia and Syncate. They've worked with Paul and Clement to spread the gospel. But now they're fighting with each other. Something has happened to their relationship. And I I think it probably went something like this. One of them said something to hurt the other. One of them offended the other. One of them misunderstood the other's intentions. And instead of reconciling, instead of wearing the garments of joy, they dug in their heels. They spoke their own words rather than the word of the Lord. They spoke words that justified themselves, that justified their sins. Perhaps they did that to save face or to save their reputation. Maybe they began their sentences with things like, it's okay, it's okay that I do this. It's natural for me to be this way. Or everyone does this. How many times have we begun sentences like that to justify what the scriptures clearly say is sin. Maybe their words were self-justifying. They were speaking very different words, however, than the word that says, I obey you, Lord, for your word is my salvation. You see, it is in this word of salvation and not in any word that we can speak about ourselves or to ourselves that saves. Isaiah chapter 25, verses eight and nine, it is God who must speak this word of salvation. He must speak this word of salvation over us. Salvation does not come from our own lips, but from God's. Justification does not come from our own lips, but from God's. Vindication does not come from our own lips, but from God's. For the Lord has spoken, Isaiah says. The Lord has spoken, and when the Lord speaks, the Lord creates. We can't do that with our words. And when the Lord speaks, he redeems, and we can't redeem with our words. And when, when God's word goes forth, it does not return in vain. How many sentences and words have we uttered that failed to land, that no one heard? So Paul says, let us be glad and rejoice in his salvation. Because Jesus has written our names. He has written our names, your name and my name. He has written them in the book of life. And what is the proof of that? What is the proof of our acceptance? What is the proof of that we have been accepted by God and not rejected by him? The proof that our name is in the book of life is our joy, because knowing that our name is in the book of life should be the cause of our joy. And perhaps that should be the top uh, choice on my mood application. My name is in the book of life, and therefore I have joy. Paul said that Yodia and Syncate, along with Clementine himself, were, were those who were written in the, had their names written in the book of life. And this acceptance by Jesus is is the cause of Paul's joy. He's joyful that others are in that book of life too. Paul calls each of the people to whom he's written in this letter, which by extension is all of us because we're the recipients of Paul's letters too. He calls us his joy. He writes, therefore, my brothers and sisters whom I love and long for, my joy. Jesus removes the shroud of shame that covers our hearts. 
What is it like when that happens? What is it like when Jesus takes away that veil of shame? Isaiah chapter 25, verse 8 tells us that when the veil is removed, we will experience the comfort of God. Isaiah says, the Lord God will wipe away tears from all faces and the reproach of his people he will take away from all the earth for the Lord has spoken. There it is, the, words, the word of the Lord, again, speaking, creating, taking away shame and reproach. We are God's chosen people, and so he removes our shame, and after the shame is removed, all that is left is joy. But this is the work of a lifetime. This is not something you just get zapped with and are expected to be happy for the rest of your life. This is not a drug. This is not a high. This is the work of the Christian. This is the work of the Holy Spirit in you and sanctifying you. And it's also the work of this community here, St. Peter's, and every church, every community gathered in Jesus' name. Paul writes to the church in Philippi, he says, help these women. And so we must help these women. We must help these men. We must help each other recover joy because when others are joyful, that is our joy as well. And that's the mark of a church that is working well, that we're encouraging each other, that we're building each other up, that we're reminding each other that our names are written in the book of life. And when we do that, we exchange our struggle with shame for the peace of God. So I invite you now to say with me in your hearts this prayer, God, speak your word of salvation over me. Lord, I am done trying to save myself. Amen.